Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Jason Thacker on the influence of artificial intelligence or AI in our lives and how to think about it as a Christian. So we need to think deeply and critically about how do we engage these things and cultivate a sense of wisdom and discernment. Just because you see it online doesn't mean it's true. Just because you see it on social media doesn't mean it's true. And just because an AI says it doesn't actually make it true. We need to be very thoughtful and discerning and wise. Jason Thacker, next. Boyce College professor Jason Thacker has thought deeply and written much about artificial intelligence. He's the author of The Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. The technology known as AI impacts our daily lives in many ways. Examples are personal assistants like Alexa and Siri and also ChatGPT, an AI chatbot we'll be talking about later today. But how can we think in distinctly Christian ways about this technology? We contacted Jason Thacker to get some ideas. Jason, can you give us a working definition of artificial intelligence? Yeah, I mean, artificial intelligence, um, especially today, is kind of applied to a host of different technologies. But the best way to understand it is that AI is the ability of a machine or a computer to perform human-like tasks, human-level uh, computation or thought or output. And we see that specifically in the news over the last six to nine months with the release of generative AI systems, things like ChatGPT, that have brought a lot of the AI conversation to the above the frame where we're starting to focus on these things and think about these things uh, a little bit more, more widely throughout all of our society. But again, it's just the ability of a machine to perform human-level tasks. So not just simple computation, Computation, but something that can match or even in many ways even now surpass human abilities in very narrow applications. Okay, well, just to give us some uh, practical hooks for that, tell us about aspects of everyday life. And I know it's all over the place, some that we know, some that we don't, where AI is, uh, is there. Yeah, we're using uh, kind of rudimentary forms of algorithms um, and kind of... Uh, older forms of artificial intelligence and a host of different applications from our social media feeds and communication platforms. The things you see online are often driven by certain algorithms or personalized in many ways. We have smart devices, things that are listening to us that can process our language or respond to us. We also see this, especially with ChatGPT, uh, the ability of being able to type in a prompt and it pr to produce a, a set of text or other generative AI systems that can produce artwork or audio or video that are creating or generating these type. And there's a host of different applications and a host of different technologies that are kind of behind a lot of this, but we're utilizing algorithms or smart technology or even AI-based technology every single day, whether we realize it or not. So often when we talk about AI, it feels like it's often kind of at arm's length. That's kind of something we need to deal with at some point in the future. <laughs> yeah. But reality is, is we're all utilizing these technologies every day, whether we realize it or not. And, and you didn't mention it, and, and I, I, it's pretty ubiquitous now, uh, that, that of things like Alexa or Google, where they have these uh, devices in the home where you can ask questions and they talk to you. Exactly right. Why is a professor of philosophy and ethics so interested in, in a technology like artificial intelligence? Yeah, that's one of the things that is I kind of dig into a lot of the questions being asked. Now, this isn't just inside the church. This is actually kind of widespread throughout our society. 
or asking deeply philosophical, even theological and ethical questions. And that's one of the reasons as a Christian kind of engaging in these conversations, it's interesting to note some of the kind of the fundamental or even existential questions being asked. The questions like, what does it mean to be human in the age of AI? That's a big kind of perennial question and something that a lot of people are wondering, what makes humanity unique in an age of machines that seem to outperform us or can even uh, match or imitate or uh, kind of, kind of uh, imitate in many ways uh, human abilities in very particular ways. So you're asking some of these fundamental, very philosophical questions. And I think that's one of the ways that Christians can step in and be proactively involved in these conversations rather than just merely responding after the fact, after these technologies have shaped us and formed us in particular ways. These technologies aren't neutral. And I think we need to know that, that they're not just good or bad, and they're definitely not neutral, that they're shaping, they're forming us in particular ways, from the ways we engage with social media and how that's forming and shaping our understanding of the world around us. And even with artificial intelligence and even kind of shaping how we understand what does it uniquely mean to be human? These are some perennial questions that I think all people, especially pastors, ministry leaders, and even philosophers and ethicists need to step into and be addressing these questions because these are the questions people are asking today. And I think that from a biblical perspective, we have a very unique and very God-centered perspective to answer many of these questions that are uh, plaguing people today. Well, we are talking about artificial intelligence with uh, Jason Thacker. He's a professor, an assistant professor of philosophy and ethics at Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky. And Jason, you were project leader and lead drafter of Artificial Intelligence and Evangelical Statement of Principles. I think that was written back in 2019, so we're thinking that's four years ago. Uh, and tell us why that document was needed, and, I, and, and in fact, the answer you just gave what you just talked about, I'm sure, goes to this, and why it's still needed today. Yeah, that statement of principles was in many ways groundbreaking, for especially for people of faith. This was the first kind of faith-based engagement with a lot of questions surrounding artificial intelligence and the ethical application thereof. This actually was the first uh, theological statement of principles that came out in 2019, well before a lot of people were even thinking about these technologies. We think in the kind of the last six to nine months or so, we've talked about chat GPT and kind of how that is headline media. There's a lot of hype surrounding artificial intelligence, a lot of questions surrounding artificial intelligence. Christians have long been involved in these technologies, not only developing them, but thinking ethically about them. And that's one of the things we wanted to do in 2019 was kind of looking forward and seeing the questions that are coming and the type of technologies and advancements that are coming. We wanted to equip the church, one, to step into these conversations and be proactively engaged, but then also to be part of the conversations as they're happening in our wider society. You know, it wasn't nine months ago that artificial intelligence really took off. This is something that's been decades in the making and conversations have been ongoing for a very long time. And so that 2019 statement was kind of a mark in the ground to say people of faith can not only should, but can step into these conversations with a robust ethic and philosophy to navigate a lot of these questions as they affect in terms of work and data and privacy and the role of government and the role of the individual and communities and even issues of sexuality. And then even just recently, the Southern Baptist Convention passed a uh, brand new resolution, which was the first denominational statement in terms of artificial intelligence. The previous statement was signed by about 70 evangelical leaders from across the nation. And this resolution was passed by Southern Baptist churches to say, this is how we want to frame and to think about these emerging technologies and how they're forming and shaping us as people. And what do we do about that in response? Well, and since uh, the writing of artificial intelligence and evangelical statement of principles, here we are, as I mentioned, four years Later, how rapidly have things changed from then 
to now? Does this statement need some kind of an update? Yeah, and that's uh, one kind of looking back over the statement, I'm very, very proud of what the team was able to put together and kind of the, the way we were able to think forward. It's not so much that the questions have changed. The fundamental questions, a lot of times with technology, we think that we're increasingly seeing new and kind of novel questions, but reality is at their core, many of the big questions of our day are really just age-old questions being asked in light of new opportunities. So I think that statement does a really good job of kind of addressing some of those fundamental questions of who God is, how he created us in his very image and how that that sense of human dignity should drive our engagement with a host of applications of these tools. That question, we tried to stay more principial or kind of higher level and kind of those fundamental questions in that statement so that we can then build upon that. And that's one of the things that I've seen among a number of faith communities and really throughout our society is taking these questions of dignity and justice and those type of issues. And then how do we start to apply that in these new and novel kind of opportunities, but also some of the challenges before us? So it's not so much that I believe the statement needs updating is we want to build upon that. We want to continue to build and kind of flesh out a robust ethic mm-hmm. to navigate a lot of these challenges. Because, again, these aren't far off futuristic things. There's something that are affecting our communities right now. Now, a big recent advance, you've touched on it a couple of times, chat GPT. People may have seen that. They may have heard about it. And it seems like it's relatively recent and it has all kinds of applications. What is it? And... How is it being used? Yeah, ChatGPT is a generative AI system. And we saw this come out from OpenAI last fall around November. Um, By January and February, it had become one of the fastest growing consumer applications in history, faster than any social media platforms, faster than any kind of consumer type of technology. And it really took kind of the, the society by storm. We started thinking about this, writing about this, but we have to remember that it's a form of generative AI. And generative AI is not new per se. It's a more of a recent development in some ways, but there are other forms of this. We see Google and other platforms starting to release their own. Even Bing, uh, that's the browser for Microsoft, is starting to include uh, generative AI systems in its search results. We also see generative AI in the sense of being able to create audio and video. Um, Whether it's a deep fake or a recreation, we also see this in artwork and creativity, which one of the questions and one of the kind of uh, bigger kind of ideas that people are starting to chew on now is what does it mean to be human in the age of AI, especially when these machines seem to be mimicking, kind of uh, imitating in many ways, very distinctly human characteristics that we have long assumed to what made us unique in creation is that we had high level cognitive processing or we had reason and rationality and uh, creativity. And while these machines, I don't think, are exactly doing what humans do, they are mimicking and imitating that in ways that are challenging fundamental assumptions of what does it mean to be human, which is where I think the church has a very unique opportunity to speak into that with clarity about what does it uniquely mean to be human? And then also what's our responsibility for developing and deploying and even regulating these very powerful tools. And what human characteristics is AI mimicking? Yeah, we see this, and I would say that these systems are artificially intelligent. They're not actually intelligent in that way um, of recognizing having consciousness or awareness of the decisions and thinking about thinking we often talk about with human beings, that we can kind of dwell on this deep questions of philosophy, but what they are doing is that they're outputting, the output is uh, incredibly human-like. It also, and you can read these things, sometimes it's very, very good, sometimes it's very archaic and kind of elementary, mm-hmm. but it's it's becoming uh, better each and every day. 
where we may be able to tell the difference now, but in, you know, even in just in a few months, you may not be able to tell the difference. So it, it passes the age old Turing test of a computer being able to kind of uh, confuse us or to show us that it's human uh, to get us to believe those things. And we far surpassed the Turing test years ago, but we're having these systems that seem as if they're human, but they're not. And so what does that mean? And how do we think philosophically and ethically about that as Christians? And that's one of the reasons that we wanted to do this statement, as well as the resolution, really the thrust of much of my work today. Well, you, you've raised the question uh, several times, what does it mean to be human? And contrasting that with artificial intelligence, which will, really helps us to discern the two and helps us to anchor a biblical worldview in approaching mm -hmm. artificial intelligence. So how would you answer that question uh, as a Christian? What does it mean to be human in the age of AI? Yeah, I mean, one of the things from the very first pages of Genesis, we see that God created the entire world. He created everything in it. He created plants, animals, the sky, the air, the land, and the sea. But he also created humanity unique. And we see that by Genesis 1, 26 and 28 through 28, we see that God said, let us create man in our image after our likeness, male and female, he created them. There was a unique status given to humanity. It's not based on the things we do per se, not based on our cognitive process, our relational ability, or even the jobs that we're called to do. It's based on this unique status and an alterable status. And that actually addresses a lot of the modern questions today that seem to value human life simply based on their output or the things they do, based on their utility rather than who we are. So not seeing that it's just the things we do, but it's actually who we are as image bearers, that unique status that's given to us. You know, humanity, we're not always the smartest. We're not always the most powerful. We're not always the strongest or the quickest, but we are uniquely made in the very image of God, distinct from the rest of the, the entirety of all creation by God's divine decree. And so that not only gives us a unique kind of uh, dignity of understanding who we are, but also a destiny of who we're becoming. Because the true image of God, we are created according to this image, is Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God. He is the image of God. And so when we start to understand some of the, that language and understand what does that mean, as we step into this age of AI and a lot of these emerging technologies, kind of retrieving and recovering our deep sense and an abiding sense of what does the Bible say about humanity? What makes us unique? Again, it's not based on what we do, but based on who we are as image bearers of the Almighty God. Back to Chad. GPT, uh, very recently, uh, there was a German church service, experimental, they call it a German church service, experimental AI run. Uh, the pastor was an image on a screen delivering a sermon that was generated by AI, by chat uh, GPT. What can you tell us about that? What does it mean to you that there were, and there were what, 300 people that came and, and praised the Lord? Uh, from a, with an uh, AI service. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. One of the leaders of the kind of organizing it said that about 98% of the service was actually created by artificial intelligence. From the videos themselves, they're not actually videos of human beings. They were generated by these systems. The sermon or the, the liturgy itself was generated by artificial intelligence. And that can kind of cause a little bit of fear and anxiety for many of us who think about what does it uniquely not only mean to be human, but uniquely mean to be the church, about the body of Christ, the people of God. And when we start to think about the questions of AI's preaching or teaching, we have to, again, come back to that fundamental distinction that there's something different between someone and something. Thing. There's a subject and an object. 
often it was really interesting to see some of the kind of um, the parishioners or those who attended the service, kind of their feedback was that it, it felt wooden at times, mm. not just because it wasn't smooth, but there felt like there was a hollowness. And I think that actually speaks to something really larger, really much bigger um, in terms of the debate over what does it mean to preach? What is preaching? Is it just simply information transfer or is there a sense of deep kind of whole person transformation? There was, I remember being trained, especially early on as to preach and teach in the local church wasn't just dispensing the word of God to people, but allowing the word of God to work on my heart and then teaching and preaching out of that experience to show them the way and to guide them in that, that there was a, a deeply relational and communal element to the church gathered and to the act of preaching, the sacred act of preaching. And I think that was even seen in this exact church service itself where people said it just felt hollow. It felt like there was something missing. There didn't feel like there were those deep connections that we're so used to seeing and that we see modeled throughout the scripture of people speaking to people as subjects to subjects rather than this kind of object um, kind of just teaching or dispensing or kind of distributing various bits of information. So when we start to think about what does it not only mean to be human, but what does it mean to be the church as the body of Christ connected to the image of the true image of God, who's Jesus Christ, our savior, we start to realize that it's not about information transfer, but actually about a whole person transformation. And this question has been raised. Uh, if you could comment on the busy pastor pressed, the sermon has to be given on Sunday morning and here's chat GPT, uh, preach a sermon on the third chapter of John, or what have you, and it can do a pretty good job. What are your thoughts on, on utilizing it in that way? Yeah, I know many pastors and preachers, especially in the last few years, feel burnout, overwhelmed, anxiety-ridden. There's so many things that need to be done, and there's just so little time in the day. Mm -hmm. And I can see how this might be a temptation, not only for pastors and ministry leaders, but even for students myself, where they feel like they're overwhelmed with the amount of work and reading and writing that they must do. Yeah. And so there can be a temptation to utilize these tools. And I don't think that we need to have an outright rejection of them. I think they can actually be tools that can be useful in very particular ways, but we must do so with the high level of honesty and transparency, never seeking to deceive others. And so I think we need to kind of come back to those fundamental principles of honesty and transparency, of not seeking to deceive other people as we seek to maybe even employ and utilize these tools. I've used ChatGPT to answer a question. Now, can I cite that or can I use that material as my own? No, but it did actually help me to understand a very complex topic that then I can then go back and source and understand and kind of resource and write my own material from. And so I think we can utilize these tools in very particular ways, but we need to be very thoughtful instead of just employing them or having it to write a sermon per se. But as even over the last few months, I was actually preaching in a local church. I had already written my sermon, full full disclosure there with transparency, but I decided to ask the, the chat GPT to write a sermon outline uh, based on the topic and the passage that I was. The first one was actually pretty good. I thought, <laughs> hey, that's decent. I don't know if I would preach that, mm -hmm. not only because of the deceptive nature, but also there were some fine points that I probably wouldn't disagree with. It wouldn't really be original to me. The second time I did it, I reran the exact same query. It was a very bad sermon outline. It was not very good. And we have to realize that there are interpretive decisions being made. Even pastors, as they look at the Word of God and see the Word of God, um, that we think about the Word of God. We think about how we make these various decisions and our traditions and understanding of the text and the interpretation thereof. 
these systems are doing the same thing. So we have to realize these aren't neutral tools, but they have distinct values and uh, kind of understandings and beliefs that are actually driving what they do as a system because they are created by human beings for a particular purpose. We have to remember that not just uh, kind of uncritically accepting these technologies, but also not just outright rejecting them based on fear or anxiety. And of course, here you are now, a, a professor, and this, I would imagine, chat GPT, for example, is going to be, or already is probably, a major challenge for schools uh, from high school, college, university level, graduate onward, where the temptation may be to have it do a lot of your work. It really can be. And that's one of the things I tell my students from the very beginning. I added this into my syllabus about six months ago um, to have a little bit more of a substantive policy and also kind of talking, being honest with my students. I know this can be a temptation. I know you might be overwhelmed. I know you might have a lot of things going on, not only in school and in the classroom, but in your personal life, with your work, with your family and a host of pressures and anxieties that all of us feel today. So to have that open and honest conversation early on, but then continue that conversation along the way. One of the things I've encouraged my fellow professors and I encourage anyone who's in a more educational context is to be really thoughtful about the things we're asking our students to do. Is it something that ChatGPT could do? Or are we asking more of a personal reflection or connection? Are we doing something more in person rather than something that they do outside of the classroom? To be thoughtful and to innovate our pedagogical practices to make sure that we're not just doing information transfer again, kind of like what we talked about with the church service, mm -hmm. not reducing those things down to just information transfer or just rote memorization, but actually thinking and uh, seeing how these, this information can help us to transform and be a different type of people to cultivate virtue, wisdom, and discernment. And so we can rethink our essays to be a little bit more personal, reflective, or uh, kind of say, hey, you may be able to utilize these tools to do some baseline research, and I want you to take that and evaluate what the system did so that you're thinking and processing a little bit differently than just having kind of this rote memorization or this kind of information transfer per se. So there's a lot there that we can unpack, but I think we should be not only thinking about how do we care for our students best and to know that they are whole people with a, a lot of different anxieties and pressures on them and seeking to love them as they are. In the same respect, kind of re retooling some of our teaching practices and our writing practices to make sure that we're focusing on that whole person transformation rather than just information transfer. Uh, and just coming back to a term that you used, uh, just definitionally, generative AI. Yeah, generative AI, kind of the root there, generating, generation, um, the ability of an AI system to generate text, to generate mm. images, to generate audio or video. So it's creating in some sense. Mm. I don't like to use the word creating there because I think that, you know, we may say, well, I'm a creative. And I think that's true. And we're reflecting the idea that God is the ultimate creator. I like to use the language that God creates and we make. And so that idea that we are making things, these systems are also quote, making things, even though they don't often know what they're doing, they're not aware or conscience in that sense. They are generating various bits of data, various bits of text, audio, video, etc. And that's kind of this new form of artificial intelligence that we're really seeing kind of a lot of potential in, but also some really important dangers that we need to be aware of as we think through what does it look like to kind of think about society and ethics and how we understand what does it mean to be human in this age of AI? Well, you said there are some important dangers we need to be aware of. What, what are some of those? 
Yeah, I think that kind of across the board, in my first book, The Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity with Zondervan, I tried to lay out some of the baseline ideas, not only understanding of ourself and what does it mean to be human, but also the family, the unique pressures and challenges on the family. I have two young boys and kind of raise, raising them in the age of Alexas and Series and all these various smart technologies mm -hmm. and how they interact even with these technologies to think through that. Also to be thinking about issues of um, sexuality, issues of marriage, issues of the city and kind of our communities, thinking issues of even warfare. I think autonomous warfare and these uh, utilizing these technologies and with drone technologies and other types of offensive capabilities, we need to be th thinking about as well. Data and privacy, um, there's a host of issues where AI, we have to remember AI especially, but all technology isn't really a separate set of issues in our society per se, but really an element of all of the things that we're focusing on thinking about from issues of human dignity and pro-life concerns, religious freedom, to marriage and sexuality, to kind of cultural engagement. Technology is an element of all of these questions. And so by focusing on that, it helps us to deepen and to further understand how do we apply the unchanging truths of the gospel and the biblical message to what seems to be an ever-changing world. Mm. And speaking of, uh, of an ever-changing world, of course, we have all of these latest uh, technologies uh, emerging, like chat GPT, for example, in the AI discussion. Can you talk a little bit about how this is and how it probably will be impacting parts of our everyday lives, like politics, journalism, news, where we're trying to figure out what's true, what's false. Yeah, much like social media revolutionized how we take news and understand kind of what's happening in the world right now. Similar, I think AI can have a, a similar effect in some sense because what was able to be distributed at scale in terms of whether it was misinformation or fake news or conspiracy theories at, distributed at scale might actually be able to be created at scale now, especially with these generative AI systems. And that recipe could be uh, a real danger and a real plague on our society when it comes to understanding what the nature of truth is. As Christians, we know that truth isn't what we want it to be. It's not something that I'm expressing what I feel or think inside, but actually expressing what is true and what is outside of me. Think of Matthew 22, where Jesus is saying to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself. That's calling us outside of ourselves. That truth, that reminding to love God and to love our neighbors ourselves is calling us outside of ourselves in an age that wants to be about my expression or my identity or my feelings or what I think about a very person-centric, a very me-centric approach. The Christian ethic calls us outside of ourselves. And so similarly with social media, but with artificial intelligence, it can focus in the sense that truth is what I want it to be. It's self-defined, self-created, rather than an external reality that we're to align ourselves with and to seek to align all of our society around those fundamental truths. And I think that's a really important conversation that needs to be had with social media, with artificial intelligence, and a host of emerging technologies. These tools are giving us the ability to do things that once weren't possible or once were unfathomable in many ways. And now we're having the ability to do it. So we need to think deeply and critically about how do we engage these things and cultivate a sense of wisdom and discernment. Just because you see it online doesn't mean it's true. Just because you see it on social media doesn't mean it's true. And just because an AI says it doesn't actually make it true. We need to be very thoughtful and discerning and wise 
rather than very reactive um, and kind of emotionally deciding what we want to be true. We have to align that with what is actually true. Well, as we near the end of this uh, very compact conversation about artificial intelligence, and thank you, uh, Jason, for joining us today to talk about this. Um, I, I've kind of saved this question for last. It's very big, but in terms of uh, biblical or doomsday or apocalyptic scenarios, we think of the book of Revelation, the worshiping the image of the beast, those kind of things where we see images uh, are very much a part of artificial intelligence now. Not that necessarily people are are in great fear, but they're just wondering how, how does all of this or might this fit into a biblical yeah. scenario? Yeah, a biblical understanding of the end times or even the second coming of Christ, we have to remember Christ's own words. He said, we don't need to know the hour nor the day. We can maybe read the times and think that, is this happening? And the interesting part is every generation feels that. We mm. feel this kind of existential angst and fear of new technologies and developments or world affairs. And we can easily kind of give in to that fear and to think, well, this is it. This is the end times. This is ushering in the next, the kingdom come and, you know, in many ways, we pray for that. We long for that. We want Jesus to come back. But one of the reminders that I think is helpful for us today is that the book of Revelation isn't about telling us the end times and what's going to happen. It's actually to remind us primarily of the hope that we have in Christ. And that's something that I think Southern Baptists really articulated well in this resolution that was just recently passed, is that we are to engage these technologies from a place of eschatological hope, a hope rooted in the new creation, or hope rooted in Jesus Christ, who is sitting at the throne of God. He is sitting at the right hand. Uh, Revelation 20 and 21 and 22, that Jesus is there, that we will all be exclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The end of the story is written. We need not fear what is to come because we have a, a great, deep and abiding hope in who Jesus is, what he accomplished, and the fact that he is coming back. That doesn't mean that we aren't critical or being thoughtful about the ways we develop these technologies, the way they may be used, not only may be, but will be used and abused by sinful human beings. So to cultivate that sense of wisdom and discernment, I don't think we need to give in to the fear, but we also don't need to uncritically uh, kind of evaluate and to bring these technologies into our lives. We need to cultivate wisdom and discernment, realize, remembering that eschatological hope of who Jesus is, what he did for us on the cross, and the fact that he is coming back. So we live in light of that, and the Christian ethic is that what do you do in light of who God is and what he's already accomplished? The Christian ethic is how do we live in light of those truths? And I think that's where Christians have a unique opportunity to step into a lot of these conversations from doomsday fear to uncritical embrace to say, we know who the, the savior of the universe is. We know the end of the story. and We're called to cultivate that wisdom, that wise sense of discernment as we seek to love our neighbors ourselves and to ultimately love God um, as the Lord of God Almighty who created us in his very image. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Jason Thacker, professor of philosophy and ethics at Boyce College and author of The Age of AI, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's world-renowned ophthalmologist Dr. Ming Wang on his faith and on the film being made about his life's work. Made me realize that life is not just about science. It's about science and faith. You know, it's like a coin. Science and faith is on the either side of that life coin, so to speak. Science is about what things are. Faith is about why things are. Science gives us the tools, but faith in Jesus Christ, what I realized in my life, is giving me a sense of purpose. That's tomorrow at this same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.